Welcome to Feeling Asian, a podcast where two Asians talk about their feelings. I'm Youngmi Mayer. And I'm Brian Park. And Youngmi, I'm particularly excited for this episode because finally, after three years of doing the pod, we got a little bit of a sports angle for this episode. Finally. <laughs> finally. Something for the boys. <laughs> something something for the boys. <laughs> we have um, a very we have a very unfortunately low uh male listenership. Is that right? Okay. Yes. And uh, we're I don't we don't know why. We don't know why. And you know, I think I think more men need to tap into their feelings. Come on. Exactly. Exactly. Come on. See, we're trying to do See, we're just, we're a space <laughs> to do that. And, you know, Asian men out there, we're out here. Just go on Spotify and Apple and tune in. But, you know, that's their prerogative. So, yes, we, we skew heavily female on this podcast. <laughs> but yes, I want to talk sports and I want to make one for the boys. <laughs> and for everyone else, let's. It's 2022. Everyone loves sports. <laughs> you can like sports, whoever you are. Yeah, and I, I will. I will say this too. I think. Uh, I think once once you guys see the movie, you'll see that it's. Uh, you're not going to be thinking about sports at the end of the movie. I'll put it that way. Ooh. It's about. Yeah, it's it's about being Asian. It's well, that's really what the movie is actually about. It's about stereotypes. And what happens when you oh. conquer them? Yeah, oh. What happens? Yeah, it's it's actually you know we, we can yeah we can I'm, I don't want to jump too far ahead here we have we haven't really done the <laughs> intro yet yeah but, let's yeah we get into it let's introduce right, your listeners. wonderful voice to the listeners because they you just heard they the don't... voice of God <laughs> technically um, listeners you know you got a little teaser from our guest this week but I want to make a formal introduction. Your guest this week is a filmmaker, artist, and director of the HBO documentary, 38 at the Garden. Give your ears for Frank Chi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks for doing yeah. this. Oh, I'm yeah, excited to like, talk about it. I'm so excited to hear all about it because, as you stated, Brian and I have not had the chance to view your new documentary, 38 mm. on the Garden, and I'm, I'm really excited to hear all about it. So it comes out uh, October 11th on Tuesday on HBO. And uh, it is, so I'll tell you why it's called 38 at the Garden. It's about the night Jeremy scored 38 points against the Lakers at Madison Square Garden, right? But I actually, we came up with the idea through talking about it in the context of like an impossible moment, right? Um, in 2020, me and my producer, Trayvon Free, who um, he won an Oscar in 2021 for Best Love Action Short, called mm. Do This and Stranger. So he's like a Hollywood person. And um, we were talking about like, okay, what are moments when society assigns to a group of people something saying, hey, you can't do this. And then somebody comes out of nowhere and just shatters that to pieces, right? Yeah. And we're obviously oh, yeah. talking about it in the context of Obama because that is the biggest impossible mm. moment any of us have lived through. So we were like, you know, what other moments feel like that? And I was like, man, look, I'm Asian, so... <laughs> there's only there's only one answer and it's insanity and i, I told them i was like yeah and I, so the way i framed it was two most magical like nights of my life the first night is the night that obama got elected president and the second is the night jeremy dropped 38 at the garden that's why it's called 38 at the garden it's from that conversation right and when we you know i i, I described this scene I, I don't know if you all had something similar to this but I was living in DC at the time and I took train up to try to get in the game in New York and they were trying to charge me like $700 at the door. And I'm like, you know, in my mid twenties, <laughs> I have, I have no, I don't have $700. So, <laughs> you know, Koreatown is like right next door to the garden. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I was just like, you know, I'm just going to go to Koreatown. Like go to like one of the karaoke bars or something and just watch it. Right, right. And I'll be honest with you. I told Jeremy this when we started this project, I was like, looking back on it, as much as I wanted to be in the garden for the game, I don't think I actually would have traded my experience for anything else. Because Koreatown is where to be, like when anything right? happens. Well, but like <laughs> I'm also surrounded by people who look like me, uh, who are maybe my age or a little bit older. Oh, and, for sure. I mean, he played yeah. out of his mind for two hours, so we <laughs> we had two hours of people just losing their shit 
in this I, bar. Yeah. Right? I'm so, going to say, yeah. yeah. Go I'm going to say, I don't know anything about sports, but I remember <laughs> that. I remember right? that night. It's, yeah. It was such a big night. It got it got to me, and I was like, what's happening? And people were like, wait, said it, or whatever. And I was like, yeah. I was like, fuck yeah. I was, like, well, I was well, also I mean, in Koreatown. I'm just kidding. Well, there, <laughs> probably. Probably. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I was. I remember I was a pre-med and undergrad at that time, and even I was going a little out of pocket then. I got a little confidence. I'm like, hey, it's a Thursday night. You guys want to go fucking party tonight? <laughs> Insanity just happens. <laughs> Let's go to Koreatown. I mean, yeah, I'd be like, here's the thing, right? Like, why are people reacting that way? And that's like, look, people in this bar, yeah. they're losing their mind. They're, they're, they're screaming. They're running around. They're crying to their beer. And I'm yeah, doing yeah, those yeah. things too, but I'm trying to like, I'm always so observing, so I'm like, I'm trying to figure out like why, right? Right. And I was like, is it the wall of stereotypes that people feel like just got shattered on the world stage, and it's a cathartic reaction to that? Right. Right. Is it? I don't know. Maybe the fact that like you know when we were kids, we were forced to play violin and piano, and and never got to play basketball, and this guy is like living our childhood dream. Is it like the internal family pressure and the external societal pressure? Is it two? Is it both? Is it like a a, a reaction to both? And I was like, well, look, obviously it was certainly a reaction to both for me. So I'm sure it is for everybody else. And totally. I, I told the story to Trevor. Trevor was not Asian, right? He had, he remembers Linsanity, but he like, he just never heard about it from the context in which I just explained it to him. And mm-hmm. I sort of realized that I just don't explain it to people because when I talk to Asian people, I just assume everybody gets it. Right, know? right. And I, I don't really talk yeah. about Linsanity to other people. So like, Asian people that was the first time. It. Yeah, they exactly. I, I don't it. explain they, it. Yeah. Yep, um, that's very true. So when when I said this to him, he was like, how is that not a movie? Like, that's nuts. Like, you, like, Linsanity from the Asian fans' perspective sounds insane. Like, how have you not made that into a movie? And, you know, I'm sure you all can relate to this to an extent. The first part of the movie is actually called Doubt. Hmm. The, hmm. the first thing I did when he said it to me was Doubt It. This is like 2020, and I was like, well, it happened eight years ago, like, yeah, nobody yeah. cares what Asian people think about in this country. We're invisible. Like, right. I, I did all the things that we all can. I'm sure you all have <laughs> moments like that. And he didn't push me. He was like, I'm just saying it's a great idea. I'm just saying. So yeah. like, I thought about it for a couple of weeks. And I was just like, this is 2020. So like anti-Asian violence is already starting to pick up during that first stretch of COVID. And I was like, you know, look, if Jeremy is down at this point, we don't know him at all. He's like, if Jeremy is down. And he wants to retell this story on the 10-year anniversary as a story about the community, as a story about, like, us as a, as a you know, like, breaking those stereotypes bigger than the moment. Yeah. And and to highlight what is essentially at least my favorite Asian-American memory during the worst time to be Asian-American in recent history, then it's worth it. And we got to make this project happen. Um, and that's yeah. the birth of the idea. So it happened, that was, like, late 2020. Um, but that's how we came up with it. It wasn't in the context of, oh, let's relive this great sports moment, blah, blah, blah. It was right, right, in right. the context right. of like, like all of the things that are happening to Asian people right now, right. which I'll put it this way. If I were to describe the movie without any basketball whatsoever, and I'm sorry, I'm sort of killing your demographic push for, for, <laughs> for more dudes here. But like, if I were to describe <laughs> the movie without any basketball, I would say part one is about stereotypes. Part mm. two is about what happens when someone comes out of nowhere and shatters those stereotypes on the world stage. And part three is about today when those stereotypes have been weaponized and when they're weaponized, they turn into anti-Asian violence. Right. That's mm. what the movie is about. Well, yeah. Well, thank you so much for breaking down the film. And it's so fascinating. I, I, I disagree. I think that everybody loves that, you know, that arc that you're, um, the narrative that you're bringing to the film outside of mm. basketball, I'm sure everybody uh, relates to that, even obviously men. Um, but <laughs> but um, before we hear more about it, we we do want to talk about our feelings. Yeah. Um, and so I'm I'm just gonna ask Brian really quick. Brian, how are you feeling? How am I feeling? I'm <laughs> feeling. So the listeners, last week I went to the New York City Ballet. It was. <laughs> fucking sick i'm feeling cultured um 
But uh, over this weekend, I saw a really sick concert with uh, the Yeah Yeah Yeahs, Japanese Breakfast, and the Linda Lindas, and yes, yeah, that was like so so cool. It was very similar to the feelings that uh, Frank just described. Of it was Asian female excellence, like to the max, and it was so awesome seeing Karen O perform because I've just been a huge fan of the Yeah Yeahs for as long as I can remember, and. Fucking hell, bona fide rock star to the max. And wow. yeah, but I guess more recently, what's more topical in terms of how I'm feeling? Uh, yeah, I've, I've just been busy this week. You know, I was um, shooting something earlier this week and I kind of like the feeling of being on set because it just consumes your entire time. And I feel mm-hmm. like I have tunnel vision of like, okay, wake up super early, be on set, done. I'm too tired to do anything. I go to sleep, rinse, wash, repeat. And so today is, you know, it's wrapped. And now I'm kind of just like, all right, well, what's next? What's the next thing? Like, what do I do now? What do I do with my hands? What do I, I have all this laundry. Like, what do I, what do I do now? You know. (laughs) Um, But I I love that feeling, you know, I wish, I wish I could like prolong that of just being, I don't know. I guess I'm a workaholic in that sense, but I do like the catharsis of like being head down to the ground and just like really going hard and working super hard at something. And then we're to the point where just like you don't have time to think about anything else because I think I'm in my head and my thoughts a lot. And it's nice. It was nice to be in 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 a work like environment of where it was just all consuming. But I'm saying that like on the other end of it. I'm sure if I was in the thick of it, still I'd be like, "Fucking hell, I need a break." <laughs> yeah. So that's that's how I'm feeling right now. How about you, young me? Um, wait, can I ask how long the shoot was? How many days was it? It was super short. It was just a couple days. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <sighs> that's yeah, I got to meet some. Yeah, we got to meet some like Gen Z celebs man i feel Ooh. old that's another thing that's another thing yeah. just like i'm like who's Gen this Z person celebs. and they're like yeah this is uh just insert the word young with like the most random adjective ever it's like yeah this is this is young ashtray like the most common popping like soundcloud rapper and i'll look them up on instagram like oh cool you have like 30 million instagram followers <laughs> like i am young so ashtray. fucking Got old some bops. <laughs> yeah so <laughs> I also wow. feel old. I'll put it that way. <laughs> well, I can't wait um, to see this project. Oh God. Um, but yeah, <laughs> that's that. That's I feel old. I feel ca- uh, catharsis in a good way, and I'm feeling hot off the heels well, of witnessing some Asian female excellence. <laughs> How am I feeling, Brian? I don't know. I'm like not in touch with my feelings recently. I'm feeling very. I, I saw like a comedy show last night and I hung out with a bunch of Asian people too and I had a lot of fun. Um, I have been just like working at home. So it's just like, you know, I've talked about this a bunch, but it's just weird like being a little hermit person. Um, and then I go out um, and then see my friends every once in a while. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I should, I should do this because it like recharges you in a way. Like... You know, you you feel guilty for going out, I think. I don't know if if, if you do. I do. Because I'm like, oh, this is like a wasted time. And I don't want to like, you know, or it just it feels like bad to have fun when you have to do all this work or something, you know. But <laughs> yeah, then I yeah. go out and then I get stimulated and energized. And I feel like, you know, if you do do creative work, you, you need something to write about. Do you know what I mean? No, so it's like for sure. Yeah, so I always feel like really refreshed and, you know, my brain feels reset when I do that. So I I have to like remember to do it more, I think. So I feel I feel great that I went out last night and I refuse to feel guilty about it. That's how I'm feeling. Let's go. That is a great point, though, with. Right. uh, I can speak, you know, Frank, like we're we're both comedians by trade and we came up doing stand up. But one tell that I of a stand up who. I know just like hasn't experienced enough outside of stand-up is once they start making jokes about stand-up itself. Oh and god. Making like <laughs> no one cares. Meta commentary about the shows themselves. And yeah. I'm like, yo, you gotta life. 
you gotta live a little bit dude <laughs> like wow no one cares yeah. about stand-up as much as we do <laughs> no one cares oh my god no once i have to cares. say also if you like are like i i have a hard time going to social things because it's like very exhausting and you know I'm, I'm a little bit more like introverted than people assume um but once i was invited to a dinner party and it just sounded like the worst and it was like a bunch of like horrible white people but then i went and then <laughs> they said so many horrible like mildly racist things that i got a bunch of tweets and jokes from it <laughs> i got a bunch yeah. of jokes from how horrible these people were so even if, if it sounds shitty go to it because you you will get inspired by the shittiness of people <laughs> i do you know i do that a lot where like if i know that i'm in like a situation like that but i will never see these people again yeah i treat it like a like a learning experience where i'm like oh yes. like this is just i mean you know you're never gonna see these people again so why why right. not just take it as as a as a almost like an out of body, like, like letting things affect you has to be only things that like, you know, are like permanent in your life. You're like these exactly. are not permanent people. <laughs> yeah. It could be, totally. a, you know, you're mm -hmm. never going to see them again, but it's going to be a hilarious story. Yeah, exactly. Years. Exactly. There you go. Um, but yeah, what's going on, Frank? How are you feeling? How am I feeling? Uh, I, you know, I feel, um, I feel very privileged to be able to, to talk about this project and put this project in front of people. Um, I mean that, like, it's, it's, I don't need to tell you all this, like, you know, like making Asian American products, it's like dragging things into existence with your bare hands. Like, it's just a really hard yeah. thing to do in this country. Um, I've worked on a lot of projects I'm very proud of. I come from politics. That's my background. And like, I worked on a lot of things I really love, but like, none of them are really about my background at all. Mm. And, um, the projects that I've worked on that have like an Asian American story to it, I literally had to drag into existence with my bare hands. Um, even up to this point, I mean, this one, there was a lot more help. There was a lot more backup. There's a lot more like the platform is huge, but it was really hard to make. You know, mm. let's 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 keep it a buck. And um, <clears throat> even even with someone like Jeremy attached, like that's like the, probably the most famous like Asian American or one of, you know, yeah. like. They just, yeah. it's still He's like an iconic just, sports figure. Yeah. Right. But like people, like people just, you know, like it's, 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 uh, you know, wow. we, we talk about representation struggles in this country. I think a lot of people are tired of it, but I'm not tired of it because it's so damn hard. Damn. And, um, yeah. So I, with all that in context, I'm like, yeah, I'm, yeah, this movie's about to come out. <laughs> right. <laughs> and a lot of people are going to watch it. And I, you know, you all just talked earlier about comedians, like, y'all are comedians you're gonna love this movie like right there are three of three comedians sort of at the top of their game and so it's Hassan Minaj Ronnie Chang and Jenny Yang all three of them are just unbelievable in this movie and part of it is just because it's such a serious topic mm. and they use humor to disarm people yeah. you know and like that's just an invaluable thing for any documentary it's it's the fact that like it's hilarious um mm. right so with all that said, like, you know, I'm just, I think that's the only feeling that I feel right now is just like privilege and like gratitude to like right. be able to put this in front of that many people. And for the people that, you know, we've already screened this for, you know, so we premiered at Tribeca and then afterwards we sort of just put it in like a string of Asian American film festivals this summer until up until the premiere. And it was just like mm -hmm. audience award after audience award after audience award. Right. Let's go. And yeah, but like, you know, like and you watch people. I'm actually really excited tonight. There's a Chinatown screening, like just, just for like the community and like people come up. We, we did it for the Asian American foundation last week. And at the end, like if you're Asian American, this is the bullseye, like the, like that's yeah. the bullseye audience. People are in tears at the end mm. of the movie. Um, but like, if you feel different in any capacity, if mm -hmm. you just feel different and you feel like there is a wall of stereotypes that follow you around into a meeting, into a, a, a mm. party that down the street, you're gonna yeah. be able to relate to the movie because um, whether it's the angle of like what happens when those stereotypes are weaponized or whether it's just a struggle of trying to break through that wall. Um, yeah. And I don't know how much you know about Jeremy's story like oh, before, yeah. before the fame. Oh, but, like, you know. It's crazy. Yeah, like, I mean, like, he was sleeping on his teammate's couch the night that he scored, yeah, he had scored Whoa. 25 points. Yeah, like yeah, he yeah, literally yeah. like, he was, he was, six three sleeping on a four foot couch you know barely got any sleep 
about to be cut from the team. Like if I pitched yeah. that story to a Hollywood executive, they'd be like, get out of here. Yeah. You know what right. I mean? Like, and then you're like, also, also he's Asian. And they're like, get the fuck out. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> no, no, for real. Get the Cut fuck out. out. That, would, that would never happen. <laughs> have y'all, have y'all seen, um, Ben like Beckham? Yes. Ben like Beckham. Yeah. Years ago. That's a, yeah. But ben that's, ben a, that's a deep cut. Classic. Yeah. Well, it's like one of my favorite movies. It's the most important movie I would argue in my life. Mm. And like, I always put Jeremy's story as like, that's Ben like Beckham on steroids. That's if the movie ended mm. that with her getting a scholarship her parents' permission to go to the U.S. is her becoming like one of the best soccer players in the whole country afterwards, yeah. and taking Wait. the whole country by storm. Like if you pitch Bender like Beckham too, like that, they'd yeah. be like, "Get out of here, no more." Right. <laughs> Wait, Frank, can I ask you something? Just because this is yeah. you know a theme on our podcast, um, I know you're talking about your film, and you're obviously very. Um, happy and excited um but like what are the other emotions that you're feeling because you know like like you said proud and you know excited yeah. like how does it how does it feel like to see all these people you know cry and give you the audience awards after audience awards like what what is that feeling um it's overwhelming i think um what is the power of film what is the power of film? The power of film is to like essentially like capture your, captivate you and give you uh, an escape mm-hmm. for however long, right? It is. Right. We, we, we give people an escape, but we, we jolt people back into the reality at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, in a way that uh, not many people do, to be honest with you. I think we live in this weird like nebulous place where documentary filmmaking is um, traditionally just like an educational instrument, like PBS and you know, right, it right. when you walk into it. And now there's all this like entertainment documentary stuff that streamers have brought in, whether it's like, you know, like the Tinder swindler, like right, style right, right. stuff. And I like, I don't really belong in either camp to be honest with you. I want mm. something in the middle. I, I want, I want to exist between those things. I want, people to be able to learn from documentaries and experience something different, but also enjoy them. Right. And as somebody who's like operating in this very nebulous space, that's changing by the day because of the streamers, how they're operating. I am like, I think, I think I achieved that with this movie. It's entertaining, but it's also educational at the end. And you don't really feel like you're being, you know, educated at all like it's just part of right. the experience i just um i i just yeah. think it's so interesting that you have created something and it's so um fits the vision that you had for it because i feel like you know yeah. brian and i talk about this all the time we create we also create stuff and then we're like fucking hate this <laughs> like, yeah. you yeah. know and i, I just I, I find that very inspirational and i'm very like in awe that you you know you set out to do this project and you're like hit it on the head the way that you want and you're watching people respond to it in this positive way that must feel really phenomenal it must be so great i mean especially after you described like you've been in the filmmaking game for a while and like you said it wasn't stories that you really saw yourself in and it was just kind of like not that personal you know but this one feels like deeply personal very personal and and has a lot of you in it you know right and look i'll I'll put it this way you you are a storyteller so i'm sure i'm sure you can relate to this i sort of feel like if you're in Asian American storyteller, you're told two things at once in their direct conflict with each other. The first is the personal is the most powerful, right? Mm-hmm. Tell your personal story. It's the one that you know best. And then the second is like, you're invisible in this country. Your story doesn't matter. Right. Mm. And like, that's the conflict. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think as somebody who's been operating as a storyteller, but also Asian American, I just like, okay, I'm going to lean in on my storyteller part because I know I'm very good at it. Right. So it doesn't have to be about me, but I'll just do other stuff. And then you, you just, you, you leave the the part out about the personal is the most powerful. Mm. And even, even though I'm not in the movie and there's not one of my actual personal stories in the movie, the movie is about, the movie is really about me and it's about you, right? It's about anybody with an Asian face in America. Cause like, What I did was, oh, yeah, it's not about me, but I'm going to find people who can say exactly the way that I, I think about it. And right. the way Jenny Yang talks about it, the way Hassan Minaj talks about it, the way Pablo Torre, the ESPN journalist, talks about it, Lisa right. Ling. Like, all these people are in the movie. 
And I was like, well, I mean, I don't even need to be here because they're all saying exactly what I would say. They're better communicators at it than I am. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm glad like, you said that. I'm yeah. glad you said that because all, you know, all directors and film makers inject themselves into films and i think people don't understand that in documentaries yeah. that there is somebody that's sort of like curating the story and the narrative right. and it, it is their story because they're yeah. the filmmaker you know and it's a decision right everything is a decision um yes. you know we, we're, exactly. we've been getting a lot of especially people who are big sports people who like want more sports they're like you know why didn't you talk about the whole totality of the season or the career i'm like because that's my decision <laughs> Yeah, I decided to, to expand this thing out to the community. Yeah. And right, by the end right. of the movie, you're not really thinking about Jeremy or basketball. You're thinking about stereotypes. Yeah. So like, yeah. that's a decision that I made to do that. I'm not yeah. going to talk about why Jeremy left the Knicks or, you know, like his entire nine year NBA career. Like, right. It, Jer- right. One, Jeremy wouldn't have signed on to do that project first and foremost. You know, he's like, I'm, yeah. I'm not going to, you know, retell it. Right, like, right. We, we all went into this with the strict understanding that we were sending a message. And well, a, yeah. a big, a way bigger message than than just basketball or or excellence on the bas- on the court. Right. Um, we were sending a message about what it means to, to endure in this country. Which I'm know? so glad you did because, you know, my whole arc with like Linsanity and learning about Jeremy Lin is, okay, this is sick. This is an inc- crazy moment happening in sports history. But then once I started, I dug in a little bit into who he was. He's just an embodiment of someone who's been victim to systemic racism and prejudices mm-hmm. in America and like constantly had to show up and prove himself like as a walk on and like really defy stereotypes to even get to that so, moment. Like it's crazy. We, like, he, we talk about this nuts. a lot yeah, in the movie because, yeah. you know, he was the California State Player of the Year. Won yeah. the California State Championship, he got zero recruitment offers. Mm. Zero. I mean, like, it's I mean, come wild. on, like, it's just it's on his face. It's on his face, you know. And and then when he got to college, he went to go to Harvard because it's Division One, even though they didn't they didn't offer any athletic scholarships. But mm-hmm. because he was like, I want the opportunity to play against other Division One teams. He um he he's three time All Ivy League, eighteen points a game. And nobody even thinks about drafting him, even though he was like, you know, I go to the combine, go to the, the draft workouts and I'm killing Ugh. it. I know I'm killing it. And like nobody even thinks about it. The only reason why he ends up in the league is because the new owner of the Warriors at the time, his home team, the, mm-hmm. the, the Golden State Warriors, the guy who bought the team was the dad of somebody he used to play against in high school. Oh wow. my god! <laughs> so he he would see him play. He'd be like, "Oh, this kid deserves this guy's a good." Shot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, like that's to me the craziest Oof. thing in the like he he broke through because of this guy who wasn't seeing him in a stereotypical way because he knew him for such a long time. Right, and I, th- yeah. and I think like sports, yeah. it's all numbers. You know, like the numbers yeah. don't lie. Like, yeah, that's the that's performance metrics, points per game, efficiency. The, the numbers point to you like this guy is a good player and still right. that like you find still. excuses of like maybe he just doesn't have it. Well, what's that it? Is it because he's Asian like and you yeah. have some bullshit well, stereotypes, you know? You, so like um, uh, the NBA draft, they have they collect all these notes and they put them online. You can read them. You can go to NBA draft and then you can read what oh, no. the pre-draft <laughs> notes of people are. And if you right. see Jeremy play. Jeremy is like a locomotive when he's on the court. He demands the ball. He co- he plays downhill. He just yeah. looks like he's going downhill. All the- you can't stop him, right? And like these notes, these pre-draft notes are like, oh god, passes the ball up constantly. Lacks oh confidence god. in his wow. shot. We put up, we put all of this in the movie because you're like, if you've That's seen so him play once, you know he doesn't play this way. That's something right. like an implicit. You're bias. just writing down Asian stereotypes on paper, dude. You know, um. That's so, f- that's blowing my mind. You know, we had this conversation with um, Ki Hui Kwan, who, you know, famously played short round in Indiana Jones and then later is in Everything mm-hmm. Everywhere. Um, right. And we we talked about this. We were like, you know, because people will say, well, you know, you can't be successful because 
this or that. It's not your race. It's not your race. But then we were talking to him and, and we were like, you're very clearly, obviously a, a spectacular actor. And there was just nothing there for you. And people were like, oh, you're not getting this because of that or this. Do you know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. it's like what Brian said, like the numbers are on the paper. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, how can yeah. you deny that this person isn't a great player? There's something else going on. And it's like, we're not in crazy for thinking in it and we're not making it up. Do you know what I right. mean? No, I mean, all the time, all the time. And I think like, yeah, I mean, I sometimes we need like very, very intentional manifestations of that in order for it to break through to people. Unfortunately, like people just miss the subtlety or they want to miss the subtlety, you know, mm. and um, I mean, I, look, I'll put it this way. I think Linsanity as a phenomenon is a product of people underestimating him his whole life, mm. right? Because you you're not thinking about the kid, right? He, he yeah. deserves to be there. He's that good. But you're not thinking about him, despite whatever the numbers are, right? Yeah. You're just like, oh, well, whatever. You know, like, it's not, that, 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 that kid's not going to break through, so let's not draft him. You know, that kid's not going to, yeah. And so, like, People are like, you know, why was it? Then Sandy was such a big deal, not just because he was Asian, but because you underestimated the kid his entire life. Because he's Asian, sure. Right. Right. But you can't, like, like plenty of unexpected, like, excellent stretches come out of the NBA or any other sport all the time. But why did this one matter the way that it did? Yeah. Um, it spoke to people. Like, it spoke yeah. to people. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, I feel like this movie will make that, will hammer that whole point home. Um, very, very loudly. Um, but it, it was honestly, it's, it's been just from what I was saying earlier about the conflict that Asian American storytellers feel like. Yeah. I mean, the fact that we got this done, that's why I said earlier, I just honestly, I just feel like privileged to be able to like do this, to be in this position, to talk about it, to be on this, you know, podcast with y'all, like, like recreating this moment that meant so much. And like analyzing it with a with a longer perspective in such a yeah. darker period in our history too, like it it just it means it means a lot to me. And I'm not gonna like, I said this to a friend the other day. I was like, I'm not gonna like just like treat it like it's like gonna happen again. Just being real, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, I think that's that's maybe a, a deep insecurity a lot of Asian Americans have too, yes. right? It's just like you can't you can't expect people to constantly pay attention to you in this country if you're Asian. If May you, is if over. You get it, huh? API month is over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Stop. Exactly. Right. Enough. Enough of enough of these Asian stories. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, and like, I mean, that's why I'm taking it the perspective that I'm taking, right? Which is just like, we're gonna we're gonna you know talk about this as much as we can at at the top of our lungs um, because we do have everyone's attention right now, and that's amazing. So, right. Hopefully people tune in. I mean, it's also, here's the thing. I'll put it this way. Talking about directorial choices. I made the movie 38 minutes. It's technically a short. Mm. Okay. And yeah. it's because, it's because, because if it's 38 minutes, you don't have any excuses not to watch it. Right. right? That is a product of being Asian being like, people don't watch Asian stories unless somebody's kicking someone in the head or they have like five Ferraris. Okay. Like you have to be sort of outrageous <laughs> For people to even pay attention to you, yeah, right. right? But like, you know, you look at the Asian stories that I love that get celebrated, like The Farewell or Minari or any of these movies that make mm. me cry, that make yeah, all my friends yeah. and like well-intentioned, like a certain segment of well-intentioned liberals cry, whatever. Like, it's just not mm. enough people. It's mm. not enough people. Okay, like, like, yeah, I. That's not good enough for me. So right. when we when we made this, we were like. We're gonna we're gonna give you zero excuses. That's the bargain we're striking with the American viewer. It's thirty eight minutes long. Anybody has thirty eight minutes. Okay, I'm not asking you to watch an eight part mini series. Oh, totally. you have to binge for three weeks. That's okay, a great choice, Frank. It. I think yeah. all movies going forward should be less than forty minutes. <laughs> Let's shift the paradigm, okay? To all the even ADHD now, like, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even now, like yeah. eighty minutes, I'm like, that's pushing it. I'm watching a lot of right. rom coms now because. I only have an yeah. hour, 20, hour, 30 max anymore. For I mean, think movies. about it. <laughs> think, think about it. Like, if you saw that 30 at the Garden was, I don't know, 120 minutes, like, basketball fans will watch it and Asian Americans will watch it. Okay. How many other people are going to watch it? Even if we do this whole press run and we're like, hey, people, like, you need to watch this thing. Like, like we know, we know America. 
Yeah. We know oh, America. absolutely. You know, like, Too many yeah, implicit so, biases. This goes out to America. Exactly. America, if you have fucking three hours to watch Blonde <laughs> on Netflix, <laughs> you, have, you have 38 minutes is a walk in the park, and you'll gain so much more from it than I, fucking I, three I, hour I, long Blonde. Okay. <laughs> I agree. I, I, and I, I, I think... I think that that's why this perspective will, will break through. And I'm just I'm like, I'm so thankful for like all the people who made this thing come together, whether it's Jeremy first and foremost, his manager, uh, Patricia, Dave Liu, who like basically helped us find our first round of funders. I mean, like all these people, everybody, everybody saw the vision. Yeah. And I just, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful again. That's my feeling. Oh, you know, Frank, I want to so um, I want to learn a little bit more about your story, like mm. your personal story. And as you mentioned before, that you started your career as in politics as a strategist. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. you know, I did some research and then you became a designer and then you turned director. Like how how did you make that leap from like politics to what you do now? Because I feel like politics is so buttoned up and. Stuffy yeah. And like, oh my god. You yeah. know. Well, I was I was trying to break that mold. <laughs> if mm. that makes sense. Uh, I was I was like I, was, I remember when I was in politics. I used to just like show up in a t-shirt to meetings, and people would be like, what "The hell!" Nice. I'm like, "Yeah, what the hell?" Um, You're like Ken no, Jong because uh, I used to work for a doctor who worked with Ken Jong, and I was like, "What was he like uh, before he became Ken Jong?" She was like. Ken Jong just like cursed a lot <laughs> as a doctor. Yeah. You just like fuck a lot. <laughs> wow. Wow. Sorry, I mean, not to like, like be that guy. To no, like, no. Oh, another comparison yeah, to yeah, another yeah. Asian person. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> no, but like I, mean, I think it's about what people's expectations are, right? And yeah. um, I I enter politics as an act of belonging. Mm. I came here when I was a, a little kid. I came here when I was seven from China, mm -hmm. so I was like an immigrant kid, and I just never felt like I belonged here. Mm. And then when I was 19, I heard Barack Obama give that speech in 2004. I used to be mm. able to recite it by heart. Wow. Right? Like the, the the hope of a skinny kid with a funny name who believes that America has a place for him too. Mm. It was like the first time anybody in American society gave me permission to belong. Yeah. First time. Um, which is why, you know, what I said earlier about Obama and Lizanity being at the same moment for me. That's why it felt that way. Mm. And um, I just dove headfirst into politics. I graduated in 2007 from college and I just, I got so lucky. I got a job on his campaign doing what I wanted to do, which is like political oh, communication. Wow. Yeah, political ads. Wow. And um, I mean, I wasn't doing anything real. I was like getting coffee, and, like building people. It wasn't like a real, <laughs> you know. Yo, but <laughs> LinkedIn, did, like, LinkedIn doesn't know that. That LinkedIn looks fire <laughs> <Right>? though. <laughs> um, exactly. So, I um that's that's that was how I got my start um in in politics, but I wanted to do political communication and I wanted to stay behind the scenes. I wanted to be a strategist. I wanted to like and like honestly, part of that, I've said this before, part of that was like this attempt to like will myself into belonging and like not mm -hmm. having to prove that I deserve to be here. Right. And I felt like yeah. when Obama won, that I didn't need to prove anything anymore. That I was like, right. I could just, you know, yeah. I, I'll, I'll enter the political class as a behind the scenes strategist. And I, I, I love doing all those things. Like I did political messaging, like content, websites, branding for campaigns. Like I, you know, Obama was like my first technically real experience in politics, but my like first real big experience as somebody who mattered was um, I worked for Elizabeth Warren in 2012. Mm. Right. And that, that was my first like, real true campaign job. And like, I just, I love doing that. I loved not putting my name on things because mm. it made me feel like, mm, it made me feel like I belong here and I didn't need to prove to you that I belong. Mm. Does that make mm. sense? Like, right, yeah. right. It, it was always in my head that way. And mm. when the Obama era ended for me, and for me, it ended like around 2014, 2015, when like yeah. we sort of woke up and be like, oh, this is not like Obama is one America. There's another America that's really pissed off that we exist. Yeah. So yeah. When that happened, I realized that, like, I I actually, like, that was sort of me telling myself that, but was it actually, ever actually true? Yeah. And mm. if you yeah. go back, that was, like, 2015 was the year where, like, I first put out something that I had my name at the end because I was wow. like, oh, I have, to, I have to fight for this existence. 
yeah. in a way that I didn't feel like I had to when I was doing that political run. So um, I have never heard somebody describe it in that way, even though we've had had a lot of guests on who are Asian that were like people that were sort of working behind the scenes and had this aversion to putting their name on things. We've had yeah. a lot of guests like that, but I've never heard someone say it in that way. Like, I didn't want to put my name on it because then I could belong to this big thing and be a part of it. I didn't That's have to prove myself. A, yeah. That's what yeah. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you just yeah. like show but up I, as you are, and they're like, "Come on in, kid!" Like, no risk. You're too. part of yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Well, it's what my friends were doing around me too, and like when you're in politics, you realize there's like ten Asian people that do these things. So like you're just like it's a very it's a very like, especially like I'm a, I'm a Democrat. Like in the in the Democratic Party, it's like a black and white experience, and like mm-hmm. Asians and Latinos are just like constantly trying to fight, figure out how to break it through. Right. And so like you're just like it it and it reminds you a lot of just. You know, I think a lot of uncomfortable conversations people have in this country about like politics, race, class, all all of the things like when, when you work in politics, like all of it's like none of it is subtle. All of it's like in your face. Yeah, and oh, for sure. it's like it's like a, it's a blood sport in so many different ways. And it, mm. I, I'm, I think I just like I got used to that that world. Um and in a way, and I loved it. I still do, but I, but I yeah. think you know it's not conducive to the type of um, storytelling that I wanted to do. Right. Um, I I loved to to do like I I, just, I wanted to be able to captivate people, and mm. I think once Obama left the political scene, the space for that just sort of disappeared. Like yeah, I'm a I'm a culture person, right? But I was always like a cultural person in politics, and. Obama was that to the T, to a very, very, like, warped degree in a very inverse way. Like, Trump was also that. Like, he wasn't political. It was cultural. Right. Right. Uh, right. But Joe, Joe Biden is not not cultural at all. No, <laughs> so yeah. He's a political person. He's, he's a political figure. And right. um, yeah. once, once, like, all of that sort of died down, too, I was just like, you know, like, if I want to tell stories, if I want to tell stories like the one that I always originally loved, the Obama story, right? Yeah. Then... You know, where are the other stories like that? Obviously, that's in filmmaking. But like, if you look at Thirty Eight: The Garden from that perspective, that makes a lot of sense, right? It's right. Funny, when yeah. we were when we were initially pitching this to Jeremy, you know, he's, he was saying he's such a humble dude, and I can't stop talking about Obama. So I'm just like, you know, I, I'm giving him that example. I'm like, Obama. And he's like, you got to stop comparing me to Barack Obama. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I was that's, like, you know, feels like, bad. Yeah. I mean, like, hey, look, the movie's out. Like, he's yeah. seen the movie now. Like, we all know, like. It yeah. does feel like that to me, at least right. to me. It does I, feel like that. I feel, I know you've already said this, but I I just feel like this movie is so deeply personal and like so much about you and I hear so much of you in this story and, I'm, mm. and I feel like I love it when people are creative and they do things like this because like what you were saying, it, it is this, you did balance this like thing of this is a personal story and you think I'm invisible, but I'm going to show. And and that the invisibility is in the narrative of the story. And I think it's really yeah. exciting. Um, and we, I look really forward to watching this film. I, you all have to tell me what you passion. think. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it's, I mean, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll put it this way. Like they always say like you're, um, if you're like a, an artist, like a musical artist, like your first album is like, the most personal album that you, that right. you make, right? Because it's like all the things packed in. I mean, I would say that like, this definitely feels like that for me, right? Mm-hmm. Even yeah. though I'm not in it at all. <laughs> Even though my story is <laughs> not in it at all. But like, because this is such a universal feeling it's, that we're tapping into. Yeah, right. um, it is. It, but it is your story. It, like, it is your, it's all of it our is, story. But, but like, I mean, yeah. More yeah, succinctly. Like, I, don't, like, I don't tell that Koreatown bar story in the movie. Right, right. right. Like, right. But, like, <laughs> but like Jenny Yang sort of does because she she had the exact same experience in California. Right. And you're like, wow, that must have happened in thousands of establishments around the country that night. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think that's why like, I'll put it this way too. Uh, we when we made this, we were like, "Oh, who's the audience? Oh, the audience like this is a millennial nostalgia movie." That's the way we like framed it. It was like, "Oh, you know, people are gonna remember it ten mm. years, like you know, like ten years looking back, they're gonna feel nostalgic." Mm-hmm. When we screened this thing, 
uh, we had an incredible screening at Tribeca with the Knicks and the Knicks invited all their season ticket holders. And Jeremy invited a lot of like Asian American, um, like civic groups, community yeah. groups in New York. And towards the end of the movie, when we get to the part about anti-Asian violence, there's this little kid. He's like no older than like 10 years old sitting near the front. He's weeping. Aww. He's weeping. And mm. look, look, I don't, I don't know what y'all were like when you were 10 I was sort of an idiot. Like, I didn't know what was going on in the world. Like, yeah. you know, I just like, like there was no movie that probably made me cry unless it was like Friday the 13th or something. So like, yeah. I'm, I'm like, I'm like, what's going on? Right. Like, what has this kid seen in the last couple of years that would make mm. him cry that way? Yeah. Mm. And, you know, afterwards, Jeremy's foundation, they collected because they brought all these kids to watch it. They essentially collected like sort of like book reports or reviews that these kids wrote about the movie. If you read them, they will make you cry. Wow. Because Damn. they they weren't around when the insanity happened. Mm. And if they were like if like if they were teenagers, they definitely don't remember it. So <laughs> you're basically yeah. dealing with people, kids who are being told to go to school right now, to not make a noise, they're gonna call you Kung Flu, they're gonna call you China virus. Yeah. Whatever. And like that's that's not a way to learn. That's not a way to grow up. You have to have no. confidence. You have to see somebody do it. And the way kids have reacted to this, and the way so many parents have come up to be like, "I'm going to watch this with my kids when I get home." Mm. That's like that knocked me out. That's the unintentional audience that we mm. didn't even see coming. But first of all, let's put it this way: it's on HBO. There are a lot of f bombs in the movie. Right, we were just saying earlier about Ken John swearing. Like you will hear Lisa Ling drop a lot of f bombs in this movie. So like you're like yes, if, Lisa if, Ling. <laughs> if, what? if you if we knew that we probably wouldn't have had so many f bombs in the movie. Like, like we knew so many kids were gonna watch it. You know what I mean? No, like, it's good. For, it's right, good right. for kids to hear f bombs. It builds character. It builds character. So yeah, that I mean that's the unintentional audience that we didn't see coming. But like, yeah, I'm really, I'm really um, thankful that's, that, that that's there. Yeah, too. that doesn't surprise me though, because you, as you said, that this movie isn't about the event itself. It's so much more right. than that. It's about like unpacking this phenomena and this diving into this feeling that so many like Americans who come who exist in marginalized groups like have right. experienced yeah. at some point or another, you know. And yeah. so regardless of whether you witness it or not, this is just a pervasive feeling that still exists in 2022. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, kudos. I'm so excited to see this and listeners, young man I didn't see it not because of on our end, it's just we got to blame the HBO marketing department. They they, got us, they, they should have sent us some screeners over here. I know. Make sure you guys I have 38 sure minutes to burn. Yeah. Um, but we're gonna, but, Frank. We're gonna dive into our uh, our, our fire quick fire rapid rounds where we're just sure. gonna dive a little bit deeper into your emotions. And you know, we got eight minutes left. We got a hard out at 12, and we are going to hit you with some questions here. So off the top of the dome, Frank, what is something you're loving right now? I'm loving right now. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> wow. Um, it always comes back to film for me. So I decided to do the Soderbergh this year, which is write oh. down every single movie and show and doc that you're watching. And Whoa. it's really, really intense. You should see it. It's because you can imagine I watch hundreds of, of like film shows. Right. And, yeah. and like, I was just looking at it last week and I was just like, you know, I'm really proud of myself that I, that I actually ended up doing this. I don't know if I'll do it for another year, but wow. just like watching what your patterns are for the thing that you love the most, which is film mm. was, uh, I was just, yeah, I was literally just talking about this last night. I was like, man, like, I can't believe I did the Soderbergh this year and it's wow. October. So I know I'll do it. I'll finish it for the rest of the year. Um, so yeah, oh, that's, I'm going to try. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, that, that sounds, you learn very... a lot about yourself when you do exactly, it. Exactly. That's you know? what I mean. Well, yeah. aside from 38 at the Garden, what's a film that you want our listeners to, to, to you know, think they should check I out mean, based on? It, it might be too, too, uh, I mean, I would, I mean, I'm going to say everything everywhere all at once. Let's right. keep okay. it real. So good. I've yeah. seen it like three times in the theaters. Um, so outside of that, um, I mean, I'll just be, I'll be, I'll be basic to a point because as a storyteller, like this is the best film of the movie of the year for me is, is actually Top Gun. Like, all right, if you haven't seen Top Gun, like it's, it's a, it's a reconciliation. It was so fun. Yeah. It's a reconciliation story wrapped in a swan song. 
So you have two epic storytelling arcs and they weave them into one in a movie. Mm. And so like, even though I don't like the culture of Top Gun, I probably don't even like the politics of Top Gun, but the, the way they took two very archetypal storytelling arcs and they wove them into one thing is insane. Yeah. Like I, I rarely, rarely, even if you get a movie that does one story arc right, yeah. you're like, this is amazing. They, they get both right and they weave them together towards the end yeah. in a scene that culminates. You're like, holy Jesus, what? See, so. good writing, you know, good writing will make any topic, even if you're not interested in it, a, a, a amazing uh, movie to watch. A hundred percent. That's why it's, why it's made $1.5 billion worldwide. Right? Like, <laughs> Whoa. There's, there's a reason. Yeah. Um, well, unfortunately, it looks like we're running out of time here, Frank. But before we let you go, we like to ask all of our guests this one last question. And that is, what is something that you're proud of? Other than the movie? <laughs> Other than the um, movie. Yeah. <laughs> one more. I think I am, I am proud of, I'll put it in the context of the movie and just the work in general. I am proud of taking risks. Mm. Um, and yes. uh, I love that answer. Making this movie was a risk. Um, yes. Talking about this topic is always a risk. Um, being, being asked to be seen in this country when you're Asian is a risk. Um, and all of those things are very active in this project. So hopefully it pays off and it, um, it reaches as many people as possible, Asian or not. And we have a conversation about not just that moment, but about what it means to exist in this country with this face. Um, yeah, I think, I think, and I think we're going to have a very, very loud conversation about it. Can I also say one thing? Because I know that you have been talking about how, you know, you created this thing and it was exactly what you wanted and you're so happy about it. But I just want to touch on the risk thing a little bit, mm -hmm. you know, in the vein of speaking about Obama and Jeremy Lin and yourself. I, I think people um, a lot of times don't understand that to be seen is very difficult because they see they see the good parts you know they're, they're seeing you you get to be a film director that's your dream they right. see obama right. who was president jeremy lynn you know one of the greatest asian athletes you know in our country of all time but there's also so much bad stuff that happens that's scary and hard and it is very it, it, i think it's like something that people don't see a lot and i think and in that way i'm always so proud of people for taking the risk to be seen mm -hmm. like for that sure. it's not easy and it's not no. all fun and glory mm -mm. Mm -mm. not at all and yeah. you know i just saw this comic the other day which was like a triangle and you see the tip of it and that's like Life of life of an artist. You see the tip, oh, yeah. of it, you see the iceberg, and the rest right. of it is the actual work. And like that—that's what nobody sees. Yeah. Um, That—that's like making a movie. You don't see the editing hours. You don't see the shoots. Um, mm. You don't see the calls. You don't see the fundraising. Yeah. Um, you don't see the fights with other, with other you know parts of the movie people. You know, and that you don't see the things that fall through. Yeah. So, but good for you for doing it and taking the risk. The, the risk to be seen yeah. is yeah. terrifying. I mean, I'm sure you all feel the same way too about this podcast, right? I think we're all asking to be yes. seen. We're all asking for our perspectives to be heard and to, we don't, I mean, I guess, it's not even yes. being centered. It's just being paid attention to every once in a while. I think that, that to me like, is that that's the journey that, mm. that makes it worth it. Once again, congratulations, Frank. I'm, Thank you. You know, I think uh, this is going to be fucking huge and I can't wait to watch it with all of my friends and, um, you know, all the success that comes your way is so, so well deserved. And Appreciate for our you, listeners, yeah. where can they find you online and uh, give them a little reminder, where can they find 38 The Garden? Uh, um, you can find 38 The Garden on HBO October 11th, 9 p.m. And it will be streaming on HBO Max as well. Um, I, I only have one. I only have one social media channel. I deleted everything else. It's just Instagram. And it's just at Frank Chi, F-R-N-K-C-H-I. Um, so, yeah, that's me. I can't wait Great. for y'all to watch it. I, 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 I want to I get, I mean, now you have so much context in how we made it. Oh, for um, sure. A lot of people, when they watch it, they don't have the context, right? So they like, but you all have context now. So yeah. I, I, I'm curious as to how you all take it when, uh, when you get the <laughs> chance to watch. Um, um, and what about you, Young Me? Where can our listeners find you? 
YM Mayor and Young Me Mayor on TikTok. How about you, Brian? Uh, y'all can find me online at It's Brian Park and be sure to follow our podcast on socials at Feeling Asian Podcast. Uh, Frank, thank you again for thank you. you know being yourself and being so great and for joining us on Feeling Asian. And uh, listeners, thank you for tuning in and we'll see you all here next week. Bye, everyone. Thank you for having me. Bye. All right, take care. If you made it this far into the podcast, it's time to do some Patreon shout-outs. For all of our Patreon subscribers, thank you for supporting the pod. And if you are looking to support the pod, the best way to do so is on Patreon at patreon.com slash feelingasian. You know the drill by now, but let's just jump right into it. Each week we give some shout-outs on the pod, and drumroll please. First shout-out goes out to Christy Okada. Christy, first and foremost, thank you for supporting the podcast. I'm going to guess that you are an owner of a cat cafe, one of those cafes that uh, I walk by a lot. I see a lot of the cute cats, but it's ext- it's actually sneaky expensive to hang out in those cat cafes. So for one, you're a good business person. You're making some nice cash flow and you get to hang out with cats, provide a lot of joy. Who doesn't love that? But in addition to that, you're also the captain of your intramural rec soccer league. And your cat cafe is emblazoned on the uniform of your soccer league team because you sponsor it. Given back in so many different ways. Thank you, Christy. Next shout out goes out to Caitlin Chan. Caitlin, homie of the podcast, also former guest of the podcast, and my dear friend and collaborator, Caitlin. What is there not to say? I mean, I already know you. For our listeners, go check her work out. She is an incredible, incredible cartoonist and artist extraordinaire. Follow her on Instagram, Caitlin Chan. Wow, honored. Thank you for supporting the pod. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we're going to be, uh, we, uh, we have a meeting in the books very soon. So uh, it really means a lot. So thank you for supporting us. And thanks for being such a great friend. Next shout out goes out to Michelle Faven. Michelle, uh, I, I learned about this job semi-recently. And I'm going to guess that you have this job. You are a luxury hotel consultant, which means that uh, very expensive hotels, hotels that I didn't even know existed, uh, will invite you to stay anonymously at the hotel for weeks and then give a scathing, incredibly candid and honest review of the hotel. And you get paid handsomely to do that. Now, the downside is, is you travel a lot, which can be exhausting and horrible, depending on who you are. But you lean in. You love to travel. And this is the perfect job and the perfect life for yourself. So congratulations. So if we're right, let us know. What are the sleeper hits that we should check out? (laughs) But in any case, thank you for supporting the pod. Next shout out goes out to Laura Kim. Laura, I'm going to guess that you're a civil engineer who specializes in creating greener spaces, more walkable cities. We need more of you. You're doing the work. And yeah, I mean, this is something that I should have known. I'm, I'm coming on to later on in my life, but you've been very passionate about creating uh, better communities and better cities overall. And in addition to that, you are a chaotic Scorpio which means that you love to fucking party and do ketamine and uh, you, 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 you have a great time. Anytime in your friend group, anytime Laura's involved, it's going to be a 4 a.m. night. And that's, you know what? We, know, we need more of you. you. You're the spice of life. But also you are the, the creating cities that are filled with onion and garlic and butter and all that delicious goodness. So thank you. <laughs> and last shout out goes out to Taylor Lee. Taylor, um, I'm going to guess that you are a, uh, you're, you're an incredibly talented accessories designer for uh, a cool brand like Comme des Garçons. And 
you're also the life of the party, like Laura, in your respective cities. You you are also the friend who who has drugs at the ready and knows how to get fucking lit and have a great time. And you're just very, very cool. And also subverting stereotypes in that, yeah, you're a raging party animal and you know how to be chaotic as fuck. But you're also a great friend and know how to show up. So there we go. There we have it. What a great group. Thank you, everyone, for supporting the podcast. And once again, patreon.com slash feelingasian. Thank you. Thank you.